Hey, everybody. Welcome into episode number two of the Sam Levitt Baseball Podcast. Hope you are having a great start to your week as we get into December, post-Thanksgiving, the winter meetings coming up in San Diego next week. So that's always an exciting time. And uh, we continue to get a little bit closer day by day to spring training and uh, ultimately opening day. Really appreciate some of the feedback from episode one with Mike Farron. A great conversation with Mike about some things going on in the game. And thank you for subscribing, reviewing, all that good stuff. You can always let me know, like I said in episode one, if there are people that you want to hear from. You can always tweet at me at Sammy Lev or on Instagram at Sammy Lev as well. S-A-M-M-Y. L-E-V, and let me know if there's somebody you want to hear from, but appreciate all the feedback from episode one, and uh, hopefully uh, plenty more to come uh, as we get into episode two and beyond. A really good guest today for episode number two. It's Hannah Huseman, a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. And the way I discovered Hannah was actually on Instagram. She has a great account. She's on Twitter as well. And she posts these things every Monday called Mental Sweat Mondays, where she goes over different aspects to mental skill set and things to focus on, things to work on, how we can become better thinkers and people and more present. And it's just really, really great stuff, not just for athletes, not just if you work in sports, but really for anybody. Would highly recommend you give Hannah a follow on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, she's at Hannah Huseman, H-A-N-N-A-H-H-U-E-S-M-A-N. And on Twitter, it is Hannah underscore Huseman. Again, just a a terrific follow, and and I think uh, she will go on to do big things in sports and beyond. She's that wise about this stuff and, and just really has such a good perspective on everything. And in this conversation, we get to a lot of different topics, both baseball and beyond, how she evaluates players, what her day-to-day is like, what the biggest obstacle or hump is that she sees a lot of players have to get over, how she works with different players on their mental skill set. And it's really just a, an interesting conversation on a part of the game that we don't necessarily talk about very often, but I think is super interesting because when you think about what these players do and they make it look so easy on the biggest of levels with thousands upon thousands of people in the stands, millions watching at home, it really is remarkable that they keep it together and that they're able to perform at such a high level. So really encourage you to listen all the way through. It's a really, really great conversation on what I think is is really an up-and-coming aspect of the game. So without further ado, here is Philadelphia Phillies mental skills coach, Hannah Huseman. Well, Hannah, let's start with this, because I find your story about how you got to where you are so interesting, because you played college sports at the D1 level. You're extremely well-educated, bachelor's degree, master's degree. You've worked in all different kinds of places. You've done golf. You've done all different kinds of sports. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So, uh, like you said, I grew up playing sports. Um, like my family played sports, my brother played sports and super competitive. And so that was instilled from a really young age. And, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be involved with sport my whole life. Um, and at a young age, I just didn't know like to what capacity, Um, And so I started exploring options in my senior year of undergrad. I actually took a sports psychology class and that was when I was um, playing softball and I was like, what is sports psychology and why have I never heard of any of this? And like, we could use this as our team and I could use it. And so I just 
became incredibly fascinated with it and wanted to learn everything I possibly could about it. So did some research, found some grad school programs, like you said, got my master's in sports psychology and motor behavior, um, and then kind of went from there. It ended up, I did three different internships, um, and the last one after I graduated was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, so that was kind of my foot in the door with baseball. Everyone always asks, like, how did you get into baseball? And I didn't, I didn't know anybody, you know, I, I had not one connection. So I actually didn't think I would even get the job, um, get the internship and I applied anyway and sent in. So that's constantly what I'm telling people is be bold, do things that you may not think you'll actually get because you might get them. And so after that internship, I went to New York city and worked for a private practice there for a year and a half. And then realized I missed baseball a lot and started looking for open opportunities and found a couple and did a few interviews and ended up landing with the Phillies and just finished my second year with the Phillies. So we're preparing for year number three right now. But that, that's the crazy part is there's no like secret sauce to get it. You know, it's it's like work hard. You do your internships. You do your coursework. You know, you you make the right context and the right connections. And then if you're enthusiastic and you're confident in your work, then and you're good at your work, then chances are you're going to get the opportunity. And it's kind of what you do with that opportunity. But a lot of times people are like, what's a quick fix? How do I get in? And I'm like, there is no quick fix. There's no in. Like you have to be good at your job and you have to put in the work before you get the dream job. You know, I, I feel like I'm always talking about that. Like sometimes you got to go from lily pad to lily pad before you get to the pond that you want to be in. And I think a lot of people are so fixated on the pond that you don't realize the stuff you have to go through before. Um, and everybody wants the pawn, but nobody wants the stuff you have to do before it. So that's what I'm kind of constantly reminding people of. But that's kind of how I got to my job. Yeah, it's interesting because when I talk to people about what I do, and obviously what we do is different, but it's a little bit similar in the sense that it's a little bit outside the box, that not many people do what we do, whether it's broadcasting or working on the mental side of baseball. And I always say, it is the same as going to law school or going to medical school or becoming a lawyer or a doctor, whatever it might be, because it's just steps. And like, yeah, it, maybe there's less of a blueprint to how to do it, but I, I like that, the lily pad analogy. Um, before we get to what your day-to-day is like during the season, because I am interested about that, I want to start at spring training. So when you get to spring training, and I assume you spend all of spring training down uh, in Clearwater, where the Phillies are. When you get to spring training, what is the first thing you do those first few days when the major leaguers and minor leaguers are there? Yeah, so it's just a big welcome party back. It, it's seeing everybody. It's catching up with everybody. It's asking how their off-seasons went. You know, we're, I'm trying to stay in touch with them throughout the off-season anyway, but it's it's awesome to see that face-to-face reunion. And it's, it's kind of like, like 200, 300 long-lost friends, right? Because you build that relationship with them and you're like just – everyone's so excited to be here. Everyone's like well rested and just ready to get back into the grind of things. And so it's a lot of just highs and how are you's and catching up with people and, and really trying to set the tone for the rest of spring training. Um, so there's not, not really anything secret or big. I mean, we'll do like a welcome back presentation, you know, and they'll go through their whole gamut of what they do. But, um, it's a lot of just hugs and welcome backs and maybe even start talking about what some of their goals are for the off season or, or what they did in the off season and what they accomplished and then how that rolls into the season going forward. So that's kind of a solid starting point where we usually begin the work. And I guess that's a good segue into this time of year during the off season. So do you have a lot of communication with players that you work with a lot during the season this time of year? How does that work? Yeah, um, I think that's a personal preference for me. And it's just 
making sure we give them their space and let them do their thing, but also checking in and, and making sure we're helping them in anything that they need and, and supporting them through their off-season journey um, and making sure they're staying on task with things that we've already set in place this, this season and, and talking about goals and are they keeping track of what they're supposed to be doing and almost like an accountability partner from the mental perspective of things and, and making sure we're not taking steps backwards in the off-season, but we're going to come back just like they're working out hard physically and their strength and they're, they're lifting heavy. They're running a lot. They're, they're hitting a lot. They're pitching a lot. We want to make sure that the mental game comes back as strong as their physical game comes back too. And your role is cool because you get to go from affiliate to affiliate. You have your pulse on the entire organization. So in season, when you're going from place to place, how do you start evaluating players and deciding maybe who needs work on the quote-unquote mental side of the game and maybe who doesn't need so much work? Yeah, so I personally like to take a very proactive approach instead of reactive approach. So I, I think that's one of the stigmas that come with sports psychology, right, and mental skills is you only go talk to the mental skills coach when everything's going wrong or when you're in a slump, or when you can't hit a spot in, in the strike zone, whatever that is. And so I'm really trying to change that culture and turn it into, no, you're going to talk to the mental skills coaches regardless of how you're playing. Just like you're going to work out regardless of how you're playing. You're going to throw your bullpen. You're going to go hit BP, right? You're going to do all of those things regardless of if you're playing really well or not playing up to your standard. And so I think it's my job to make sure that it's not just, okay, he's playing really bad. I'm going to go in and see him and talk to him. It's I'm going to go to an affiliate and I'm, you know, we have different lists of guys. Like I predominantly work with the English speaking guys because I don't speak Spanish. And so I'm like making sure that I meet with every single English player, English speaking player at that affiliate. Um, just because there may be something going on and they're playing really well and nobody knows. And so they need to check in or, you know, I don't want it to become this negative thing where every time I come into town, Hannah's only meeting with the people who need it or quote unquote need it or are in a mental funk or whatever it is. So my approach is we meet with every single player once a month, no matter how good you're playing or how bad you're playing. And, and that's a really base pace technically. Um, and like they can knock on the door anytime they can call anytime. It can be obviously more than once a month, but we definitely make sure that we're checking in with these guys once a month. So there's not really a, a right way or to do it or a wrong way. Um, but that's what I personally want to do because I want them to know that this is an ongoing relationship we are building regardless of how you're playing. Um, so that maybe one day if you do need something, you've got it. And we've already built that besides panicking when something goes wrong. And all of a sudden we're just pulling from every which way to figure out what's going on. Right. And of course we're talking about a part of the game that you necessarily can't see like you you can see somebody hit a home run you can see somebody strike out you can see somebody do anything on the field but you don't know regardless of the performance on the field I guess what's happening inside their head and on the mental side of the game I'm curious to know about your relationship with the player development staff and when you go to these affiliates are you in communication a lot with player development folks who you know I don't know might say to you this player is not doing so well, go see if there's something you can do? Yeah, so we we try to have a holistic approach. You know, we try to really work all together. Like, we want to make sure if, if this guy's changing something is in his hitting, do the mental skills team know? You know, does the strength and conditioning staff know? Does the athletic training staff know? You know, is it is it kind of, quote-unquote, approved on all ends? But I think we very much so try to take the holistic approach on all these guys um, and making sure that 
if something's changing on the hitting side, is it physical or is it mental? You know, because, you know, worst case scenario, we change all these things physically and come to find out it was actually just one little mental cue that we needed to switch or vice versa. Maybe they're in talking with us and we're like, are we sure this is a mental cue? Maybe this is a hitting cue, like physical cue. So let's go get the hitting coaches in on this conversation. So we really try to keep it around. Um, conversation is good. And, and I think that's, something where mental skills is growing because mental skills hasn't always been a part of the culture in baseball, right? We're kind of like the new kid on the block still, you know, strength and conditioning was the new kid on the block. Nutrition was the new kid on the block. I'd say mental skills is still kind of the new kid on the block. So one of my main goals is to try to create us as part of the culture, because if we're not part of the culture, then we're like, Oh, you got to add this on at the end of the day. Oh, you got to do this. And so it's really trying to make it like, Hey, make sure mental skills is in on this conversation. Just like the hitting coaches and the strength and conditioning coaches are in there. The mental skills coaches need to be in there too. Just so we're thinking on all ends to make sure, because obviously I'm coming at everything from a mental perspective and other people aren't, you know, they're coming at it from their strengths and their expertise. And so it's just making sure we're included in as much of those conversations as possible to give the athlete the best chance for success from a holistic standpoint. And that's interesting that you talk about wanting to incorporate your point of view into that player development, I guess, grander picture of what's going on. Has that at all, as teams latch onto it and they bring it in, like, has that been not only for you, and I'm sure you talk to your colleagues around baseball and around other sports, but that has that been a difficult thing to, to have entire organizations buy into why what you're doing is important? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's always a lot of good and a lot of tough times too, difficulties, you know, um, no doubt there's all, and there's, I mean, there's still people out there who like don't totally buy into the mental game. They're like, you either have it or you don't have it, you know, and, and not just with the Phillies, with everybody, you know, with the general public on, on social media and, and feedback I get, most of it's great, but some of it's like, you know, what is this hogwash? Like what we don't, we you train them up, be hard on them, you know? Um, so I think you're always going to have that give and take and and I try really hard not to get bogged down um on the bad or the people who don't believe in it but it's it's interesting because most of the people who claim that they don't believe in mental skills or don't agree with it once you have a conversation with them it kind of turns into that they've used it in the past if they were performers they just didn't slap the title on it and I'm like so you actually did envision yourself hitting and they're like yeah and I'm like that's imagery right and now we actually are practicing that and we're we're putting effort and time and energy into our players practicing it instead of just like, let's try this and seeing if it's working. So it, it may not have the same title, but it's, it's interesting to have those conversations because most of the time it comes out like mm, you, you did some mental skills. You just may not have titled it that or called it that. We don't, I feel like as a, as a sport, as fans, as media, as whatever it is, we don't put enough stock into how mentally incredible it is what these athletes do under enormous, enormous amounts of pressure. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I, I think just from that perspective, I mean, it's amazing what these people do and, and that takes like incredible mental fortitude. Yeah. And, and it's cool you're saying that because I actually, when I worked in New York, I worked with the FDNY. So the fire department in New York city, and it's very prestigious, very high, like world-class world-renowned um, firefighters and it was cool because there was like a mutual respect right while while working in the MLB and in minor league baseball they're like I could never get into in front of a crowd and play and do what they do right and then working with the baseball players they're like I could never run into a burning building and do what they do so it's 
it's really cool to see like that outsiders are like, I couldn't do that. But then these baseball players are like, well, we couldn't do what you do. And so it's, it's cool seeing like there's different types of performances and different types of mental performance, but it absolutely is just different kinds of pressures. And there's just happens to be in front of a really large audience televised in front of the world. I want to get back to uh, really the more the specifics about what, you work on with players when you think that you could have an impact, like you mentioned earlier, imagery, visualization. So when, I guess I'll split it up first. So let's talk about, I don't, I don't know that there's a difference between these two, but I'm going to go into two categories. So let's say you have a hitter who is struggling and you, in your evaluation, decide you can help that hitter. So what are some of the techniques, some of the things that you work on that you talk about, I guess, very initially? Yeah, so it's a wide range, right? And I think I think that's the coolest part of mental skills is what works for one person may not work for another person. What what could change someone's career may could possibly destroy somebody else's career. And so that's the challenging part of our job is is figuring out what works for that person and that player and that performer because and and that's the that's the part people just want to jump into and be like, "Oh, here's how you fix them." And maybe the very first thing you need to do is get to know who they are as a person. So like that's that going back to your question of like, what do I do when they first get back? It's I, I say, hi, I treat them like human beings because they are first and foremost a human being before they're a baseball player. And you have to build that human connection, that relationship and that trust before you can like be like, so let's talk about your hitting right now. Why is your hitting sucking right now? You know, let's go into that. But um, so first and foremost, I say relationship building is the number one thing. And then the number two thing I start going into with players, and I talk about this a lot on all my social media platforms because it's my philosophy of mental skills, and that's awareness. Um, it, it's the old saying of you can't grow if you don't know. If you don't know what's going on up here when you're in the box or on the mound or whatever position you play, then it's going to be really difficult for me to help you. Um, and so it's kind of creating, helping these players create awareness when they're playing well, what are they doing? What are they thinking? What, how are they breathing? And when they're not performing well, what's going on? What are they doing? What are they thinking? Are they breathing? Um, what do they notice? And a lot of times, you know, guys are like, I don't know. I don't know what, what I was thinking when things were going well, or I don't know what I was thinking when things were going poorly. And I'm like, well, we have to start recognizing what we're doing. So we have a lot of different awareness strategies for them to practice. And, and just like physical skills, mental skills have to be practiced before you just throw it into a game. So I would want all of that all like, I want you to start practicing awareness in practice first before you just hop into a game and all of a sudden become over aware and overthink everything you're doing on the field. Um, I think that's commonly forgotten too, but that's typically where I start. And then we kind of start dissecting what's actually going on. And then we can come up with one of the different strategies and techniques such as visualization, imagery, self-talk, mindfulness, meditation, breathing techniques, et cetera, et cetera, um, and figure out what exactly this player needs. Um, but chances are they may not even know. And so I think that's the majority of the work is helping them become aware of what's actually going on upstairs. Cause most of the time we don't know. And even though every player is obviously different and, and they're all different people, different backgrounds. And, and I like that, how you talk about these players being humans first. And that's something that I know you definitely see. I mean, I see it even, and I don't, necessarily always get to know them and on that type of level but you know when you're around these players a lot and then you see them even perform in the big leagues or become stars you have that perspective they're, they're just kids they're people they were 21 sitting at double a like you saw them going to chipotle or playing video games or whatever it might be it takes them out of that just player 
I guess, bubble and you see them as humans. So I, I guess in an overall sense, what is the biggest or most crucial obstacle that you see a lot of players face when it comes to the mental game? Love that. Um, and I would say specifically in baseball and probably in most sports is being overwhelmed and bogged down in the things that are outside of their control. So like giving your focus and your energy and your time to things that you have absolutely no control over, whether it's the umpire, whether it's how much playing time you get, whether it's did you start, whether they moved you from a starter to a reliever, whether you're not getting as many ABs as you want. It's how can you get through all of the things that are outside of your control and still be able to play in your game and not let that affect you? I mean, I, I feel like I'm having that conversation on a daily basis. Of and, 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 and maybe it's not even a conversation. Maybe it's just a reminder. Like, we're like, hey, what's going on? Why are you upset? What, what's happening? You know, it, it's really, it's the players who can focus on the things that they can control and let all the other stuff just happen um, who are going to stay the most mentally tough and mentally aware of what they should actually be giving their time and energy to. Because all too often you see guys like pouring their hearts into this. And I'm like, you're pouring your heart into the wrong things, right? You're pouring your energy into trying to prove your coach that you can do this when you should just be pouring it into this X, Y, and Z where you can actually control. And then by doing that, then you're probably going to impress the coach. And so it's making sure that they know what they're actually putting their time and effort to. And, and in the game of baseball, there's not a lot of things that you can control in those conversations we have. And it's like, well, you kind of can, but you really can't. And it's like most of it you can't. And so, again, creating that awareness on am I giving my time and energy and effort to things that aren't even in my control or am I focusing on things that I actually can do something about? So I, I hear you saying the word awareness a lot. And obviously awareness being present, that's so important in, in anything you do in life. And, and I guess that goes for worrying about things that you can't control, but also being present in the moment. And what's more you know, focus oriented than hitting a 97 mile an hour fastball and, and trying to make the right play in split seconds. Like I, I totally see what you're saying that you have to have that awareness. Um, how, how do you have players practice that? Is it, cause I, I do have a meditation, I, I guess, fun fact about me, a, a meditation practice myself that I'm sometimes really good with. Sometimes I'm not so good with it is, is it stuff like that? Is it meditation? Is it other tools? Because I see you post about awareness a lot and you're talking about it a lot. So how exactly do you have players practice that? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different ways. Um, but I would say the most common way that I teach and I think that the world is kind of picking up on is mindfulness practice. So it's a little bit different than meditation. Um, but mindfulness is basically being in the present moment non-judgmentally. So you're, you're in the present moment. Like you could be practicing mindfulness right now. Like are you actually in this? Are you watching this video? Or are you thinking about what's for dinner? Or thinking about all the other things you have to do? Um, and so I think what mindfulness does is it doesn't force you to think about other things. Like it's not like, okay, think about you're on the beach. Think about you're this. It's, it's not that. It's solely become aware of what you're thinking about right here, right now in this very moment. And if you're somewhere in the past or you're somewhere in the future, try to bring yourself to the present moment. How do you feel? Like do a body scan, right? A body scan and mindfulness are like very, very interconnected. And I think it's the best way because if you can start practicing this, right? And sometimes you'll practice and be like, this is weird. I feel awkward. It's laughable. It's funny. But then you start doing that. And then throughout the day, all of a sudden you're like, Huh, it's like a beautiful day out here, right? The sun's beating on my face. And just because you felt that 
you are present moment focused. You are being mindful. But maybe before you wouldn't have even noticed it, right? Um, the example I give all the time is when you hop in the car and leave work and head home and you get home and you're like, how the heck did I even get here? Right? You weren't focusing on the whole car ride. It's because you were being mindlessness, right? You weren't being mindful. And so it's, it's starting super small with an app like Headspace or anything like that and creating those little light bulbs in your head of like, oh, yeah, I need to be aware. Oh, yeah, what am I thinking right now? Oh, yeah, let's be in the present moment. And then all of a sudden you're doing that in your everyday life. And then next thing you know, it's going onto the field with you and, and you're creating that awareness. And you know what you're thinking, you know what you should be thinking, you know how you're feeling. And if that's how you should be feeling or how you shouldn't be feeling, and then you learn to adjust as you go. Um, but you can't adjust if you don't know, right? And that's kind of goes back to the very beginning. But I'd say mindfulness and body scans are the best technique you can start off with in order to create awareness. But you got to create it in your life before you can create it on the baseball field or on the in the boardroom or if you're presenting in front of a class or something. You have to create it as a person before you can a performer. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about players and athletes focusing on things like that away from the baseball diamond, away from the stadiums and, and how that impacts, you know, when they're sitting, you know, at home or whatever at a restaurant, like being focused on something or having that awareness, how that can play an impact in, in what they do a day later, hours later in a totally different setting. So I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, I think one thing for me that, that I found like with my own practice, and I guess I think about a lot now is that I feel like, and you tell me if I'm crazy, but I feel like when I wake up in the morning, I'm not necessarily the best version of Sam Levitt. Like that version takes work to bring out every day. And I feel like meditation, mindfulness, trying to be aware helps, at least I think maybe other people would disagree, but helps bring that out. So I guess my question is from the player standpoint, you know, do you look at players and say, you know, not to them even, but do you look at them and say, if we can shore up some of these things mentally, if we can build that mental skill set, you can be the best player you could possibly be? Because if not, you might be leaving something on the table. For sure. Just like, just like our strength and conditioning coaches phrase working out, like you don't have to work out. You, you may make it to the big leagues without working out, but think about if you did. Think about if you if you could squat this much or you could bench press this much or whatever, or even arm care. Like you don't have to do arm care, but your career may last a lot longer if you do arm care. Um, and just like that, if, if you don't have to work on the mental game, but maybe because you didn't, your career may end a lot sooner than it would have. Maybe the most mentally tough players make it um, higher by two different teams, two different levels, just because they were mentally tougher than another player who had better skill sets than them. Um, so absolutely. We frame it like that all the time. And I think the Phillies are really good about that, about like, again, making it a part of the culture. Like it's not an option. Like if as a Philly, you're doing mental skills and, you know, obviously you get up to the big leagues and it's a little more, you know, everybody kind of knows what they're doing and figuring that out. But, um, as a minor leaguer, like we're doing this, like, because we're, I promise you, if you're going to be strong at this, it's only going to help however far you're going to get. And it's not going to hinder your performance in any way. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, if you do this, you're going to make it to the next level. Uh, but I'm saying it's giving you an opportunity to potentially get to the next level. And that's all we can ask for, right, is making sure we're giving ourselves as many opportunities as we can in order to find that success. And maybe that success for that player is bumping up a level. So we definitely frame it just like that. So back to the point on 
when I was saying about how what these players do is, is so amazing, when you think about the scale they play on, the amount of people watching, and everything that goes into it to build up to that moment, and then when you consider the mental side of things. So we're living in a time where everybody's super critical, right? You're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. I mean, I, I think some of the stuff I see is so insane from people who have never done it. And by the way, I'm guilty of it too. When I, you know, not that I ever bash guys, I don't, but even when I talk about guys making errors or or whatever it might be, there is always that little thing in my brain saying, you know how hard this is and and that I I could certainly never do what what these guys are doing. So I guess the question is to to fans that are really critical of players, what would be from the mental skill set side of things, what would be your reaction to that or your message to them, things that they maybe don't really understand about how hard this is? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, just continue to put it, put it in their perspective. Like you have no clue how difficult it is. Like, and, and we, you know, we try to scale it down. Like it's just a game, but people have no idea what goes into this game. And even, even like, you know, conversations with players of like support systems and even, even your closest people who aren't there on a daily basis don't understand what these guys go through, especially in the minor leagues and the time that they put in and the little money that they get and the, the, where they live, the food that they get, like it's crazy. It's hard. It's really, really difficult. And so I think it's just giving them that perspective of, you have no clue how hard this is. You have you have no clue how many of these things are outside of their control. Maybe they make an error at shortstop, and it's their first game playing shortstop in 15 games. Um, or, or maybe they've played a lot of games at shortstop, but it's their first season ever playing shortstop. And so I think I would just encourage people to know people's backstories. Like, go do some research. Like, if somebody plays an error and you're about to say something negative, like, Go see if they've been playing that all year. Like, do they deserve that comment? Like, regardless, they probably don't. But, like, there's probably – this kid might have played six different positions already in one year. And so it's it's a lot more than they think going on. And maybe he's brand new to this team. Like, maybe he just got bumped up or maybe he just got moved down and he's struggling mentally too. And so it's it's maybe just do your research um, and educate yourself not only on the game but on the players too. Because, again, and kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, it's like they're human beings. Like, does anybody just come into your office and start criticizing you of what you're doing? Like, we can't see you doing it. Just because you're not in front of everybody doesn't mean, like, we can't, we we just don't know. We can't criticize you like you can criticize these players. And so I would just tell them that it's, remind them that they're people first, this is their job, and that you should probably get to know them a little bit more versus just a number on the back of a jersey. Like, they're people too. Don't forget that. It's hard too, and like our players go through it, and like we've had we've had players delete social media, we've had players block block a lot of accounts on social media, and delete minor league baseball apps, so they're not constantly checking their stats. It's it's something very real that these players have to deal with on a daily basis, and it only gets worse the higher you go too, which is sad. And, and I and I hate when I read things, you know, when people criticize, especially on the minor league side, of you know, reminding players that they get to play a game for a living or and stuff like that. Because from my perspective, I, I've talked about this a lot. When you watch even a minor league baseball game, it is about so much more than just that game. There are coaches' careers. On, like every night when, when you play that game, there's a lot going on. There are coaches' careers on the line. There are livelihoods on the line. You know, the difference between being a minor leaguer and getting to the big leagues, which most guys do not do, 
is huge. It is life-changing in every way, from the money to, to every other part of it. Like, this, this is really important stuff, and these players are under a lot of pressure in a lot of ways because you don't need to tell them what's at stake. Like, we, we know they go on the bus. Like, we're, do, we're doing it too. Uh, the, there's a lot of pressure to this stuff, and, and, and it goes in all kinds of different directions. And, and I promise the person putting the most pressure on those athletes are the athletes themselves. So, like, regardless of family members, regardless of fans, regardless of critics, regardless of scouts, the people putting the most pressure on themselves are these players. And so don't forget that either. Like, they know. Everything you just said, they know. They know that once they make it, they get this. Once they do this, all they have to do is get there. Just get to the next level. Like, they know that. And that's a constant thought of, of their career and and trying to battle life and growing up and becoming a man and a family and potentially getting engaged and married and having kids while also trying to chase their dream and play this game. And so, like I said, the pressure only only keeps adding on and building up the higher they go. I want to switch gears and talk about Hannah Huseman because like I said, I, I discovered your stuff on Instagram and Mental Sweat Mondays, and we'll talk about that in a second. I think the work you do, not just in sports, but in, in every avenue is really cool and really important. So your future, do you want to stay in sports forever? Is there a grander plan? I'm, I'm interested to know kind of what, what you see for yourself. Yeah, um, it's weird to even imagine life without sports in it. So, I mean, as of right now, I want to stay in sports as long as possible. Um, but I do think, I think the one thing that would probably change is I would love to do more keynote speaking um, and public speaking. I love spreading the word about mental skills. I love getting in front of an audience and talking about the ins and outs of the mental sides of, of performance, not just sports of any game, but performance specific. So I, I'm hopeful to add some of that into the near future, but no, I'm hoping to stay in sports for a while. I love it. And, and, exp- and like pro sports and even baseball, like they are really open to mental skills. And, and I think it's only going to keep growing and more and more opportunities are happening as of lately. So I think that's only going to continue to grow, which is really, really, really exciting. So no, I love sports. Like it's hard for me to envision it not, but I'm hoping that other entities too will start to figure out like mental skills is really important in all avenues. And some business people have started picking up on that surgeons, like I said, firefighters earlier. So I think it's just going to continue to grow into different populations of, of high performance people. So we talked about maybe that biggest obstacle that you see with players. So I want to ask you kind of the same question, but like humans in general, day-to-day life, the public, like I, I was on a plane earlier today and I couldn't stop thinking about how when we got to the gate and everybody got up and how anxious everybody was and thinking to myself, this is insane. Like, why, why do we live like this? Or even when I'm home in New York, I, I think about that a lot because it's so insane. What, when in, in your day-to-day life, what is from a mental skills perspective, what's, what's the number one thing that you see that you think about and you say, this could be so much better in everybody. I would say being in the present moment. Because with being in the present moment comes everything else. Like if you're in the present moment, you're not worried about what's about to happen or stressing about doing something or you're not, you know, worried about what already did happen or stuck in the past or stuck in the future. You're right here right now. And I think especially with social media, we get so caught up in all the things going on around us that very rarely are we in the exact moment we should be in right now. And I think that's, what's slowly getting out of human society is like I asked somebody the other day, when's the last time you've had a conversation with somebody and you actually felt listened to and heard 
because we're like everyone's running and going and on the phone and, and texting and social media and Instagramming and it's like we need to be more in the present moment and if you're in the present moment nothing else really matters but whatever is going on in that moment and and we're constantly trying to figure out what we should be doing or what we did wrong or what we need to grow and that's important but the most important part I think as human beings and then as performers is to be in the present moment. Like if you can be in the present moment, odds are you're going to perform better than if you were stuck in the present or stuck in the past somewhere. And so I, I think being in the present moment, which is a skill, which you have to actually practice and think about and be aware about and practice mindfulness. That's a mental skill. Being in the present moment and staying in the present moment is really, really, really challenging. And again, I think once we create that awareness, we realize, oh shoot, I am not even close to in the present moment. Let me bring myself back in. Let me take a deep breath. Let me, do some kind of cue that I want to create to remind myself to try to be in the present moment as much as possible. But that is absolutely what I think us as human beings need to work on more. I'm interested to know as a mental skills coach, what do you do to practice that? Like from, from morning till night, is it meditation? Is it, I'm, I'm really curious to know what Hannah Huseman does every day for that. So I, I practiced mindfulness a lot a couple years ago um, and kind of like started integrating it into my life. And so it's actually funny, like what I literally, I have like a, a cue in my head now that anytime I'm having a conversation with someone, which is almost all day, every day, I'm having conversations with people, like somewhere in the middle of the conversation, I'm like asking myself, how locked in, how locked in am I to this conversation? Like even during this, right? It's like, how locked in? And am I too busy thinking about, you know, the workout I have later tonight or what I need to do? I'm packing tomorrow. I got to go to San Diego, you know, all those things. And and so it's like almost this automatic thing that I do. And I'm asking myself just in every conversation, because like I said, I mean, I'm having 20 plus conversations a day and it's like, am I locked in? And am I giving this person my like undivided attention? Am I listening to them and hearing what they're saying instead of trying to figure out what's the best thing to say back? Um, because once I do that and I'm not listening and I'm not focused, I know I'm not as good as my job at my job. Um, and with that, comes also noticing that when I have a busy week and I'm doing all these things, I need a break. I need a break from that. And so um, actually figured out probably in the last year, like my version of self-care is to be alone, which kind of makes sense because I'm, I'm constantly supporting people and talking to people on a daily basis. And so sometimes I just need to take a step back and take a breather and like have like 30 minutes of just like peace and quiet of doing nothing, maybe reading a book or maybe not even doing that. Um, so I think it's, it's neat to see like by practicing mindfulness that became like, okay, now I'm questioning my every move in my day-to-day -day basis of am I in the moment? And for me, the most important time to be in the moment is in my conversations. And so it's like anytime I have a conversation, a, a light bulb, a cue goes off in my head of am I, am I locked in on this conversation? And I think, I think that's probably been one of the biggest changes for me in the last year and a half is like just trying to completely engulf myself in these conversations. And if someone's knocking on the door, hold on, you guys got to wait. If somebody walks by, you know, and grabs my arm while I'm in this conversation, I'm like, hi, right back in, you know, instead of like, hold on, you know, and trying to juggle it all. It's like, be fully there with that one person while you can. And like, that makes you feel empowered. That makes them feel empowered and you do a better job of your work. And so it, it's interesting to see how like little practices turn into what you need them to on a daily basis. Yeah, and it's so funny that you talk about being locked in during conversations because as a broadcaster, one of the things that I really struggled with early on, and I still struggle with it sometimes, when I do interviews, I would notice I would go 
full interviews without listening to literally one word that the person I'm interviewing said. And you would miss such good opportunities at follow-ups and all kinds of things because I'm too focused on what I'm asking next. Like even, even right now, I'll tell you, normally I would have like a long list of really detailed, like written out questions. And I have a couple notes and I have some stuff pulled up. But like I wanted to really just kind of listen to what you were saying and go off that. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, proud of myself for that. Well, Hannah, no, well yeah. done. Good job. I'm proud. Well, Hannah, thanks so much. Uh, I plugged the Mental Sweat Mondays on Instagram and all of your Twitter and Instagram handles. Uh, You're a great follow. You do great work. I think this stuff is so interesting because what we were talking about, about these players and athletes in general performing on these enormous stages, and they make it look relatively easy, which is unbelievable. Um, So I think this is just such an awesome part of baseball in the game. and, And I'm super happy I got to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope I got to answer some of your questions for you. You can follow Hannah on Instagram again at Hannah Huseman, H-A-N-N-A-H-H-U-E-S-M-A-N, or on Twitter, Hannah underscore Huseman. Highly recommend following her. She puts up great stuff. Her Mental Sweat Monday videos on Instagram are really, really good. They'll always make you think, and I highly recommend you go follow Hannah. That'll do it for episode number two. Have a great rest of your week, great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace out. Peace out.